Good afternoon from the UAE and welcome to episode number two of the In Squash podcast today. We have the great pleasure of talking with uh, Ron Beck, famously known for uh, the in for the uh, Squash Talk website, uh, but also uh, runs much deeper than that. Uh, we discussed his uh, early years in squash at Princeton uh, and the WPSA tour in the Americas back in the early days, the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, and beyond that, we also discussed uh, squash media and how the PSA could take a, a page from the WPSA's uh, business strategy. So sit back and enjoy the podcast. Okay, uh, Ron, welcome to uh, the podcast and thanks so much for, uh, for agreeing to do this uh, uh, today. Uh, how's everything going now? You're in Indonesia now, is that uh, that's uh, correct, eh? Yes, uh, I'm calling you from uh, today from Medan in uh, Sumatra. Sumatra. How are you? I'm great. And, and uh, how's Sumatra been treating you? Um, well, I just got here yesterday, but um, it's, an, it's not raining, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could use some rain over here. Uh, in the UAE, but um, Ron, uh, I'm just going to go through your bio. Just, uh, I mean, you have a. I wasn't aware of uh, a bit, a little bit uh, of what you, your your history in in squash, but uh, it's quite impressive. Uh, you you're a Princeton grad, and you played uh, for their squash team during your time there. Uh, you also played on that's the true WPSA tour from '79 to '84. College Squash Association Executive Director, and uh, what I, where I got to know you is uh, through Squash Talk, which was uh, I, I visited uh, many, many times a day, and that was uh, from 1999 to 2014, and then uh, beyond that, I think you've uh, you've been doing a lot of traveling and uh, some some work-related. Uh, things but uh that's the bio i have and uh, thanks for joining the the podcast so uh your bio uh, is impressive and um uh let's just start with life back at princeton what was uh life at princeton like uh, particularly as a uh, as a young squash player well that's that's really where i first started playing i had never played squash before i went to college there and okay. uh, I would have to say a key a key um, influence on me there was my great friend named Arif Sarfraz who mm -hmm. very sadly uh, died about two years ago and he was also Arif grew up with Jahangir okay. and they um, played together and they played together in Karachi as kids Arif's coach was uh, Jahangir's father and um so Jahangir and I and a couple of other close friends buried Arif in Karachi about uh, two years ago. And while I was there, Jahangir took me to show me the original court uh, in, in Karachi where he and Arif used to play on, which um, the Pakistani government has now 
given to Jahangir to sort of, if you will, bring back to life some of the squash traditions there. But anyway, that was that was sort of my introduction to everything, and um, mm -hmm. so it was a great start. Our wing, did he? Uh, R.F. Safraz more or less took you under his wing? Yeah, he taught me how to play. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. And he was probably one of the greatest squash players nobody nobody ever knew about <laughs> because yeah. he was he he just he just played for the love of it. And I think when he was living in New York after college, he won just about every title there is to win in the New York area. Okay. But never was interested in playing playing professionally because he got into the financial business area. I, I see. And uh, so the squash team. Uh, well, squash, as we know now, at the uh, at the at the Ivy League level, uh, in particular, has grown to the point where they're even offering part scholarships to uh, to great to very good talent. Uh, but when you uh, played at Princeton, it was sort of in it would have been in its uh, infancy, correct? Yes, and we played a different. We played the old hardball style of squash then. Okay. So. So would you consider yourself more of a hardball uh, guy? Well, that's what that's what I played, and and uh, at the time the pro tour I played on called the WPSA tour was was hardball, and it was a great it was a great pro tour. It was built up. There were a lot of uh, great tournaments around North and South America, um, and with some decent prize money, and it was a great group of players, but. Um, actually, it was RF who introduced me to the softball game, and I immediately okay. fell in love with it and pretty pretty much knew it was going to be the future. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, that brings me to uh, my next uh, topic. I was going to ask you about your career in the WPSA, and uh, you bring up the point that it was a, the hardball tour, and I, uh, as a young junior, I used to I follow both softball and hardball, but I do remember uh, the legends of that tour yeah, well, so there were uh, there were some really great things about that tour, which are still, I think, lessons for squash today. Okay. Um, because because first of all, uh, it was very much run by the players. So we we basically ran it. There's a gentleman who's uh, owns a club up in uh, Toronto now uh, named Clive Caldwell. Yeah. Who I was sort of the dry. So Clive was the driving force behind organizing us to bring things to a very high level of professionalism. Um, so we sort of regulated ourselves and some of the things that we did, um, but it brought in a lot of different sponsors and we were able to play in a lot of different uh, cities around the United States and therefore brought in a lot of different kinds of sponsors. Um, so it was, and we had a lot of events in New York and Toronto where there's a lot of uh, people with money who can sponsor squash. And, and I don't really feel that today, you know, some of that has really been captured back yet. Uh, mm -hmm. I think the, you know, squash has a ways to go in terms of, um, in terms of, you know, really um, taking advantage of what's available in North America in terms of money and resources. Who were uh, some of the, uh, the bigger sponsors of the, WPSA tour back in the day. Uh, if memory serves, maybe Gillette. So Gillette was a, was one, but not really the major one. So there was a company called, well, 
you know, a, a brand of liquor called Boodle, Boodle's Gin, okay. and they they sponsored some of they sponsored some of the really big tournaments in New York, and uh, Rolex was a big sponsor, Coca Cola was a big sponsor, and um, also um, B- uh, Bata Shoes was was a very big sponsor of the tour. So there were a lot of you know there was a lot of interesting diversity there. Yeah. You know, and so what you find is if you, you know, if people know how to tap into it, there are a lot of very senior people in a lot of large corporations, especially American corporations, who love squash. And, you know, that was how a lot of these sponsorships came to pass. So why do you think that's, I mean, obviously these people are still playing squash. Uh, why do you think that's not happening uh, as much or to that degree now? on the PSA platform? So I think um, I've had, I used to have a lot of discussions with, uh, I think, you know, Martin Bronstein, who was my leading uh, writer, uh, my leading writer on Squash Talk. And I, I feel he, he was a huge gift to the game of squash. He was a fantastic writer and a huge interest in the game worldwide. But we had a lot of discussions about this. And I think one of the things that the people running squash today don't understand is that all sports of, you know, like tennis, golf, squash, any sport that's fundamentally an individual sport, um, the interest in it is driven through personalities. So it's really important to, to build up the personalities of the game. So, for example, when we had the WPSA tour, you mentioned Sharif Khan. I mean, Sharif Khan was a huge personality and he, he attracted, he attracted viewers. He attracted sponsors, but not just him, his brothers also. So Aziz Khan was a fantastic player and a fantastic personality. And then uh, of course their cousin, um, Mo Khan, who won the British open when he was 18, who lived in the U S after that. And uh, is he Seattle? Uh, Mo Khan? No, Mokan was in Boston. Okay. Um, and there's a great story about that for another time. Maybe another podcast would be a great topic. But, but my point is that um, when you build up a personality, you build up the interest in the sport. So, um, you know, for example, you said I travel around a lot. I go, I go to uh, the Middle East a lot. I go to, um, you know, Southeast Asia a lot. Yeah. People know. You know, when I talk about squash, the one thing people know about in Southeast Asia is the minute you mention Nicole David, <laughs> you <laughs> know, people's eyes light up. Everybody knows she is. She's a huge personality yeah. in the region. And, um, you know, you go to Australia, everybody knows who Sarah Fitzgerald is. You go to um, the Middle East, you know, when I talk to, I have a lot of colleagues and customers who are Egyptian. And the interesting thing to me is <laughs> the person they remember uh, really is uh, Ahmed Barada. Right. So he yeah. was a great personality. So, yeah. And so what I think is happening today is the people running the sport lose sight of the fact that it's, you have to build up the people. So they just want to build up, you know, maybe themselves or the organization or let's say the PSA, the fact that there's 80 or a hundred players out there, but it's really, it's, it sort of serves everybody, 
you know, by really building up, you know, uh, some of the, you know, one or two or three or four key stars of the game, yeah. you know, a Nick Matthew or some of the, you know, some of the great um, guys coming up from Egypt right now. Well, you, can um, you know, those and are, and so and it's, and I don't, th you know, and I think it's, you know, I'll, yeah, people should, I think the sport needs to put, you know, all of its efforts, the PR effort. Okay. So and, just uh, to conclude, so just to conclude, Jerry, yeah. um, it, to me, it's really, you know, a, a big key is, you know, for the people running PSA and all the organizations really put a lot of effort and, and, you know, subvert the individual, uh, you know, people running the events egos and, and put all the effort into building the key personalities in the game who will drive interest worldwide. Yes. Yeah. I was, uh, I was just going to say before we had that little technical issue, uh, you could, they have to be careful though, but by putting all their eggs into one basket, I, I mean, you see what's happened with uh, Rami, unfortunately. And, uh, uh, he's, he's, uh, had some injuries and, you know, something like that is a good example of where, you know, if you, if you, uh, start to rely on one player and he falls off, uh, and that's not good. No, that's true. I totally agree with you. Um, so it's definitely take some, some balancing act and you need to build up anyway. The sport needs to be about more than just one or two people. But there's some good, there's some good young, I mean, Egypt's obviously uh, uh, looking very good, but there's some other personalities out there like this, young, this new uh, Paul Cole. Uh, I mean, he's putting himself out there on Facebook and uh, he seems like a, a different type of character and a type of personality that I think, I think the PSA, they're, they're, they're trying to uh, tap into his, uh, into him to uh, raise the profile of the game a bit. Yeah, and, um, you know, I'm in business now, and, um, you know, one of the things uh, we do in, a, in our company and most companies do is, you know, there's P PR training. So you get trained as to how to talk to the press. Um, and I think that would be also a great thing. You know, you get a very young person coming out all of a sudden playing and getting some visibility, and yeah. they need to know how to talk to people to – to really get the right, you know, to put themselves in a good light and to put the sport in a good light. And I think so taking some of these, you know, new lights coming up and giving them the right training so that when they, you know, I, I won't go into a couple of the people's names, but for example, some years back, I remember there was a woman on the pro tour who was fantastically uh, successful, but she was, she was just, she didn't know what to say when someone wanted to interview her. She was boring. So I watched one year at the British Open, you know, she was interviewed by uh, the BBC and, uh, you know, sort of basically it was a dud because she couldn't think of anything interesting to say. <laughs> no, that's a good, uh, good point. A good investment uh, uh, in, uh, by the PSA, an investment idea for them uh, to develop uh, their players. Um, so... Now, then uh, after the well, I want to just ask you about your own career in the WPSA. Any any uh, memorable matches uh, during your time there as a tour player? Well, you know, I I had a lot of uh, great times and memorable matches. I wasn't 
you know, especially successful there. I was actually more successful pre before that in the U.S. We had a very, very um, vibrant amateur squash tour. Yeah. And I had some great, great successes there. I mean, you know, I, I had some really good matches that I didn't win, <laughs> you know, course. with people like Sharif. Yeah. With people like Sharif and, and Aziz and uh, some other people. And those were, you know, there were some really memorable ones. And, um, you know, we we played in a lot of smaller cities, too, where some of the, the top players didn't come. And so I had some some great tournaments and some great wins in some of, some of those places. So uh, I think, uh, you know, for example, I had some great battles with a guy called uh, Mark Alger that you may not have heard of. Mark Alger, but, another um, Yeah, and, and I mean, he, he's now an airline pilot, and he moved to Anchorage, Alaska, and built a court in his house up there. Okay. Um, and we had sort of a, we had sort of a, you know, reunion match a few years ago. My son is now, who's a squash player, is now living up in Anchorage, so he and Mark started playing every week out at Mark's house, but um, so, you know, there were some great, great matches there. I think it was, uh, you know, and I think the interesting thing to me is the gratifying thing, the, the power of it is I run into people all the time in, in places you wouldn't expect, you know, on the train. I ran into a guy on the train between Boston and Philadelphia. I ran on, into a guy in the airport, you know. Yeah, so you, yeah, met You've met quite a few people in there. So, you know, I just, the fact that, yeah, and it's interesting that, you know, the matches we all played, you know, I'll say 30, 30 some years ago today, you know, people remember still, it was memorable to, to all the, the participants and the spectators. So yeah. squash is a great sport that way. Absolutely. Now, uh, you were the executive director for the College Squash Association. Um, what was your role there and maybe your goals? And perhaps, uh, I, I know you're, you're a driven person. You, did you uh, leave a, the legacy uh, that you wanted to leave in that role after you finished? Yeah, so that was an interesting experience. Um, my great friend, Dave Talbot, um, from Yale University, Mark Talbot's brother, yeah. talked me into it one day. And, um, you know, I had a, another full-time job also. So I was sort of running squash talk and doing this job and doing another job. So, yeah, it was a little bit, um, I was stretching myself to the limit. But it was, a, you know, for those of you who aren't in the U.S., U.S. college squash is an amazing success story. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to get a taste for it, there's a uh, really great documentary, 60-minute documentary you can find on YouTube about Trinity Squash that goes through a year in the life of Trinity Squash. But um, college squashes, you know, when I, when I joined up um, with uh, Dave Talbot and with the people who are running college squash, uh, the coaches, um, and their goal, the reason they wanted me to do this was they wanted to get more publicity for the sport on the web. So that was really, uh, you know, one of their goals in asking me to participate. But, um, it's a, it, you know, the goal, the, yeah. And so we, you know, and we definitely succeeded with that. Got a lot more people around the world to understand what it was. Yeah. Um, and, but, um, 
one of the goals that at that time, which was about, um, let's see, about uh, 1990, about 2005, I guess, when I, uh, when I started doing that, um, there were, at the time, there were around 35 teams playing on the men's side, a few less on the women's side. And the goal was to increase the number of colleges participating. And during the time I was involved, we got the number of men's teams to increase from around 35 to around 50 participating in the, in the, uh, in the league and in the national championship. And I think they've, they've added a few more since then. Um, So that was a huge accomplishment. It was a huge enterprise too. I I hadn't really (laughs) realized what I was getting myself involved in. Uh, They run a national, the national tournament on three successive weekends, the men's tournament, uh, you're hosting about 700 players wow. in one location for three days. The women's is about 500 players, and then there's an individual tournament, which are the top men and women, uh, you know, in a 64-player draw for each side. So three successive weekends, you have it's, you know, so the men's the men's college squash tournament is I would say probably the largest squash tournament in the world, and wow. you have 700 players. Playing uh, matches over three days—it's a fantastic and amazing yeah. uh, event. I was—I th- was just thinking. Uh, do you? I know now that there are quite a few very high-profile ex-PSA uh, players now coaching in the college ranks in the U.S., uh, and that could uh, could be partly due to, well, definitely due to the raised uh, profile of uh, college squash. Uh, in the U.S., don't you think? Yeah, I think so. And um, yes, and some of those those players who f- former players who are now uh, really doing a great job as coaches, you know, Martin Heath up at the University of Rochester, and uh, John White, uh, White down at uh, yeah down at uh, Drexel University. Uh, I mean, those guys are are attracting international players. They're bringing the level of coaching to a very high level, and they're also they also, you know, embraced the whole thing. And and I think now, uh, now uh, even David Palmer is coaching a team. So, yeah, um, I think it's 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 really a fantastic uh, adds adds a whole new dimension to it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, now I just want to uh, to go and in, delve into uh, squash talk. This is. Um, as I said to you earlier, uh, I think uh, I used to visit Squash Talk numerous times a day. It was the first uh, squash news website, to my mind, uh, uh, ever on the internet that really focused on uh, writing, good quality writing on squash, not just reporting the results. Uh, was it? Uh, I believe it was. It sounds, uh, sounds like Rob Dinnerman. Let, let me uh, just uh, repeat the quote. I want you to guess who wrote this. It came the first in the 12-year history right. between a tournament in which they faced match point against in the third game of their semi and culminated a meteoric ascent from having to hack their way through the qualifying rounds as recently as this past January to winning an event this magnitude less than a year later. That's a really good question. You, How about Rob Dinnerman? Yeah. Rob Dinner. Is that it? Uh, one of the one of the 
three or four great writers that you uh, assembled for the Squash Talk website. Um, I thought it was great. Right, I can uh, I can identify I can identify I can identify them by the run-on sentence. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, the run-on sentence, but also the uh, yeah, I, used to describe a squash match and rally. Uh, uh, I thought you know it's unlike anyone else that uh, that's writing about squash. You uh you had Dinnerman, you had that's right. So you know I think I, yeah sorry I, I you know I think one of the one of the things that, one of the things that gratified me uh, a lot of the time I I would get a lot of uh, pers personal email feedback on a lot of the tournaments we covered and a lot of the articles we published. Yeah. And really, if you want to know the truth, that's what that's what kept me going doing it. Absolutely. Um, the the support from the squ the squash community worldwide. But you know, people would write in and say, yeah. I really felt like I was there. You know, this is going beyond just saying what happened. It's describing, you know, the strategy and the feeling for what was going on. So yeah. I think that um, you know, I always feel proud of, proud about that. That that's what we. Well, that's, that's what we did. Uh, that's that's what I think was the beauty of squash talking, and it's missing from uh, from the squat well so-called squash uh, media that we have today. Uh, of course, I enjoy uh, going to squash site. Uh, uh, they they do a great job of presenting uh, the results of a tournament. Um, but uh, what I really enjoyed about the writers you assembled was just the the quality there. And the critique, uh, there was a lot of critical uh, writing, especially from Bronstein. Yes, and I think that, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I always, you know, well, before we, before we go on, Jerry, yeah. I think it's really important for me to say this. Uh, you know, it's not only the writers. I had this totally fantastic photographer. Oh, yeah. uh, who who was I really considered my part? I really considered her my partner. What was her name? Uh, D her name is Deborah Tessier from New Jersey. Deborah Tessier from New Jersey. Okay. And uh, Deborah Deborah had this uh, rare, very rare photographic talent to capture, you know, capture the, uh, you know, the the essence of what was going on on a squash court, mm -hmm. the essence of what we all love about it. Yeah. And in fact, when Jonathan Power retired, uh, Deborah took it upon herself to put together, you know, a assembly of some of the greatest photos she had of Jonathan playing. Yeah. And we put it up on the front page of Squash Talk, sort of as a revolt, you know, as a running, just as a video clip of all these photographs. And I got an email back from Jonathan's wife, um, you know, and she wrote me and she said, you know, I never read the squash stuff because, you know, I think there were, there were, you know, a lot of the British writers, not including, not including Martin, by the way, yeah. but a lot of the British writers didn't understand Jonathan and were critical of him all the time. Um, but anyway, she said some, a friend of hers had told her she had to go, go look at, uh, you know, what we had written about Jonathan retiring and the photographs. And she was just, totally blown away by by the beautiful you know testimony to his career that deborah had put together so yeah. you know I, I think it was both the writing and the photographs both of which are a little missing today absolutely yeah 
Yeah, I mean, I had this. Um, so yeah, I, I just want to tell you. I want to tell you. I just want to tell you a little story. Sure, please. Uh, I think it was uh, three years ago. Yeah. Three years ago, or two years ago. Um, go back to my friend Dave Talbot, who who is the coach at Yale, and um, I called him up and I said, I have a I have a free weekend coming up, and I was thinking of coming down to watch to watch the college uh, tournament that I did, you know, the one I was just talking to you about. And uh, Dave said, fantastic. I'll arrange a free hotel room for you and so forth. So he got me a hotel room, came down to, uh, to Yale, had a fantastic time watching some amazing squash. And uh, Saturday night went out uh, after the matches were over with the professional referees that they had been brought in to referee some of the top contests and we were out at a bar and I didn't even know all of these guys but all of a sudden these five referees spent the next two hours over a few beers trying to convince me to restart squash talk yeah well I'd like to convince <laughs> you know and they you. said you know we're all missing I, I think I think we need the, the squash media the, the squash site and that's it right now I mean, yeah, so I, you know, I think, you know, I said, I said a little bit, yeah, so when we, when I started Squash Talk, there was, you know, Squash Site was there too. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, it was, a, it was actually a fantastic uh, counterpoint to each other. You know, we each had a completely different approach to things, yeah. but there was also a rivalry. So I think it, I think it made us both better. But yeah, Steve Cubbins was running... That's what squash, we, right? That, 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 and that's my, and you know we. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. So we, I think we, uh, you know, we we played off each other. Yeah. Absolutely. And I always thought that was that you need at least you need at least two different, you know. And the other thing I think you mentioned it that, and Martin Bronstein can be, you know, he was the one who, was always a supporter of this and helped me with this is. I thought it was really important that we were independent from all the, the squash organizations so we could criticize. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and the other websites, the other websites are getting a lot of money, a lot of money from the squash organizations. So it puts them in a position where they don't feel they can criticize things that aren't right with the sport. No, Matt, that's really, uh, I really feel that's missing from uh, squash reporting. Uh, now the, the only the place where we go now to critique squash is on uh, Facebook with your friends, um, uh, unfortunately. Right. Uh, and, and it's always a fruitful discussion. You know, you, we can talk about uh, the three referee system and critique it. We can talk about certain players who are you know, blocking or, you know, certain players who are doing this and that. And that, I think uh, we need more of that. And squash talk did, did that very well. Right. So, um, yeah, I've been thinking about, you know, could I, what's a, a different um, way in which I could, could bring uh, squash talk back to life and, uh, you know, without, without, yeah, maybe I could work with you on that. Um, but um, yeah, I've definitely been thinking about it because I have it in my blood. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely still there. Yeah, um, and I have all I have, and the other part is, the other part is that we I felt that we had a really key key role to play. People always 
complained that one of the problems I had was it started being very expensive to host it because there were so many, there were so many photographs and so many articles. I had literally thousands of articles there. So the amount of the cost to host it was significant um, among other costs. And, um, but, you know, I had to take all that offline a couple of years ago. And so a lot of that history, I've still got it all. I could bring it back online pretty quickly. But, um, you know, that there's a lot of historical information there. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I think it's just a very good template for, uh, or how to put a, a proper uh, uh, squash news website uh, that uh, helps to sort of critique the game and uh, add some uh, value to discussing it. Um, Ron, we don't have much time left, but uh, uh, what's what's on what's up next for you? Well, um, you know I'm. I'm still playing squash. I'm enjoying that. One of the things that happened with squash talk was I didn't have enough time to play. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but so I've been, you know, I've just been playing. I just entered, uh, you know, the Massachusetts age group tournament. Okay. Um, And I noticed uh, Sarah Fitzgerald just publicized that there's uh, the Asian masters coming up in September in, uh, in Malaysia. Maybe I'll go, Go okay. play in that. Um, I, play, but, um, I play that one as well. You know, I, yeah, but I, yeah. So that would be uh, be great to meet up there. So yeah, I'm. I think it's great that you you uh, are doing this podcast and that you invited me to talk to you. You know, maybe that'll get me thinking about how to figure out how to uh, to get back into this in a, in some way. And um, you know, you yeah, can, I think uh, it's a it's just a fantastic game. Well, I think, uh, you know, today's podcast just, uh, highlights uh, everything that you've done for the game. And uh, it'd be great to have you uh, back uh, in some capacity with uh, Squash Talk uh, or something uh, branching, out, uh, branching out from that, uh, Ron. So uh, just th- thank you very much uh, for doing the podcast. And uh, any uh, final parting words you want, to, uh, you want to say anything before you leave? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, just one personal note. I met a lot of people through Squash Talk, and I think at the time I started it, you were in Korea, if I'm not wrong. That's right, yes. And, um, we have a mutual you know, friend. Uh, I think you were, you were one of my first, you, yeah, you were one of my first customers. You bought a few videos <laughs> when yeah, I started right. selling them on Squash Talk. But, yeah. um, yeah, I thought, I so, you know, I, I remember that. You know, the Tournament of Champions video, uh, it was Power versus Craig Rowling. Rowling. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. like that, exactly. So yeah, yeah. anyway, yeah. thanks. Great great to talk to you. And um, I hope uh, everybody who listens to this podcast enjoys it and uh, be glad to hear from people.